0: Hello. Hello there. Hey, how, how's it going?
1: I am good. How are you?
0: I'm pretty well. Um, and it's evening over there, right? It's like about seven o'clock?
1: Yeah, it's like five past seven. Oh, wow. It's still very bright outside, but I guess that's what you get in, um, you know, in summer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although you, I'm guessing, haven't been spending a lot of time in the Netherlands lately because you were at E3, right?
1: Yeah, I've been hopping around a lot, but I, I do that a lot. I was in uh, Spain and England the last few days just checking in on the development communities there. But um, wow. yeah, I've, I've actually been in Europe quite a while now that I'm thinking about it. E3 <laughs> was probably my past trip, my last trip outside of the EU.
0: So what were you doing in, you were just sort of like checking in on like on the, commu- on the dev communities there? Or like what is, how what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So one of the, one of the things I do is, um, I try and work with development communities in emergent territories, which mm-hmm. is any territory outside of sort of the Western world and mm-hmm. usually Japan, um, to check up on how the community is growing and help wherever I can. Uh, sometimes that's very concrete help. And sometimes that's more of a, uh, you know, advisory role or even just a feedback role. Um, but, uh, I I work with local developers to figure out how to grow their community into, you know, a, an independent games industry um, or something like that, whatever they prefer, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some countries, that takes a very commercial attitude. In some countries, it takes a very creative attitude. Um, but it's just really fun to see you know the the different forms of of creativity the different mythologies and histories and cultures that people you know draw from to make games so mm-hmm. started kind of accidentally doing that and I've been doing that for, for the past few years um so I was checking in on Spain which had a pretty rough year from what I can tell um and I checked up on uh, on England which is obviously dealing with some uncertainty <laughs> after recent political events so um It's always interesting to see where communities you know face issues and how they evolve.
0: yeah, I feel like maybe most people who aren't really deep into game development um and even a lot of people who are think of the sort of hubs of of that work being Japan and then um the u s mm-hmm. and um You know, maybe like New York, L.A., Montreal, maybe. Um, Yeah. Maybe a few other places. But then there's so much stuff going on outside of that. um, And so many people aren't aware of it. But then there's also this tremendous barrier to um, because there's so much capital already invested in in like the U.S. and in Japan. Um, And there's also the language barrier, which I know is something that you have um, have worked on. Um, What was that project? called that you had started a few years ago.
1: Yeah, Game GameDev World. That's still yeah. under development. It turned out to be way bigger a responsibility than I thought. <laughs> because as you said, yeah, the language barrier is is a huge issue. It's it's one of those invisible issues where mm-hmm. you don't realize code is English until you you know, look yeah. at it and realize code is English. Um but yeah, no, for for my wow. my father, my father being uh, an Egyptian um For him, I've tried to explain code to him a a million times and it just wouldn't click until, uh, and he's, he's a, he's a, you know, he has an engineering mind. He's good at math. He's honestly, he's very good at, at language. He's, he has the mind of an engineer when he, you know, when he wants to, um, and i couldn't understand why you just couldn't get to terms with code and uh, eventually uh, a new york based uh, artist by the name of Ramsi nasser uh right, released right, something yeah. called elb elb yeah which was a programming language that well a programming language concept in arabic um and i showed that to my dad and it just clicked immediately and it just made me think that you know code one of the invisible barriers is is english and how do how do i deal with that so i i started this project this this game dev world with the hopes of translating foundational industry knowledge whether it's about design or art or sound or code or anything uh, and translating that across all major languages in the world uh starting with you know like five selected languages uh, that would have the most reach and then slowly growing from there And then hopefully eventually transforming it into a community-based effort. Um, But it turns out that not only is that a tremendous amount of work, but it's also a very strange curational issue. Mm. Like who gets to decide what is foundational knowledge and how do you keep certain biases, certain prejudice, certain Ideas about what game development is or should be. How do you keep that out of, you know, out of texts? Because, you know, when I travel, I worry about these things. When I work with communities that are just starting, I worry about those things. But I get to have a conversation with people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I get to to add nuance and subtlety where I need it. Uh, while with a text, a text looks formal. Like it looks, right. it looks like truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how how do you deal with that so we've me and sarah o'malley who have been working on the project for a long time have gone through several ideas of how to deal with that and each of them has sort of led to i don't think this one's going to work either <laughs> so we're we're stuck on the curation part which you know we had never considered to be the the hard part but it really is
0: yeah well i mean any kind of I feel like any kind of effort at that um, kind of work always runs into that problem, right? Of like, of any choice that you make is, it feels, yeah, like more permanent. And even if it is sort of like a living document, um, those choices you make uh, kind of resonate or like set the foundation for something. Um, and it so it is really hard to, that's like a very difficult project to take on, I think.
1: It's um, one of, one of the things that made me think about it was uh, Lisa Brown, who is a um, a designer at Bungie currently. Um, she had me on a panel at GDC that was the um, the failure workshop, mm-hmm. and effectively what we talked about was um, bad advice we've given in our lives. <laughs> and um, I I've kind of come to the conclusion that all advice is bad, and honestly we should be comfortable with that because advice is, you know, it's unless you're giving direct personal advice to somebody, it's always generalized. Mm -hmm. Um, but Lisa made a really, really uh, cool analogy, um, of a pendulum where we try to mostly what advice is in the current day and age is countering advice that we see as bad. Mm. And in doing that, we tend to overshoot. So uh, today, the the whole discussion of uh, game engines came up on Twitter again. <laughs> um, you know, for, for a long time, it was, you know, engine X is the best engine. And then for a while, there was a counter movement that said, no, every engine is equally powerful and equally capable. But then Lisa made the counterpoint that it depends on what kind of development you want to do. If you want to be a tripway developer and you want to work at a large studio, then yes, Game Maker is cool but you should probably get some practice in on, you know, engines that are built for large collaborations mm-hmm. uh, because that knowledge is, so yes, all engines are capable, uh, but no, not all engines are equally relevant in each circumstance. And you know, that's the pendulum swinging back again. Um, and, and, you know, thinking of that, I'm just continuously worrying about what I would write down, like what part of the pendulum am I on? Like, is there, is there like a neutral state? Can the pendulum be <laughs> static? And if so, what what does that what does that mean? Is there like an objective correct version of something? Or are we just gonna accept that everything is subjective and ever changing, which honestly in our industry seems appropriate? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's just a matter of intervening where you think yeah. you'll have a positive impact. And if you can course correct on something that seems like it's um Going in a direction that isn't useful to people, then I think that that is positive. Um, yeah,
1: I I just I keep I keep thinking back to this one story in South Africa. Very early on in my career, I went to South Africa. It was 2012, 2013 was my first time there or my second time there. I don't remember. Um, but I was speaking to a class of students at a university called the Witz which is in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is interesting about Johannesburg and not in like a a good way, but in like a, this is how the city exists is it is probably one of the, um, you know, after apartheid, one of the more economically segregated cities in the world. And Mm -hmm. obviously there's a correlation between poverty and, and race in many cases, because the city was literally built that way, like down to where the railroads are down to where the roads separating neighborhoods are like they were specifically built to segregate people. Um, so there's a lot of poverty, a lot of of pretty extreme poverty in in Johannesburg. And I was speaking at the university, which is a a game design as a game design course. And it was this one, um, this one kid who asked me, um, you know, you dropped out of school, he said. And I was like, yes, I did. And he said, should I drop out of school? Which is an incredibly forward question to ask <laughs> during a, you know, a, a school lecture. Yeah. Um, but he basically argued, you know, like, I feel like I'm not learning here as much as I could do on my own. Uh, I feel like school isn't made for me. I've made things on my own. Like, I'm capable. Uh, these are the things that you said led to you dropping out of school. Should I drop out of school? And over the years, I've kind of learned to give the political answer, which is, you know, if you're asking me, you probably should not. (laughs) Um, It's a very personal question. It's Mm -hmm. a question that you are best capable of of answering. And really, you shouldn't take, you shouldn't take my opinion here. Um, If you want to, and regardless of what I say, you are going to, then sure. And otherwise, then no. And the teacher there, um, uh, which is a, a woman by the name of Hanley Kaiser, um, she, she'd been sort of standing in the back corner, being very proud of all the small, all, all the smart questions their students had been asking and then she was suddenly gone. <laughs> and I felt kind of strange about that, but I didn't really think of it much more until I was done like 20 minutes later. And when I got off stage, I wanted to go and ask her where she went and if everything was okay and I didn't really have to look for her because she just kind of stormed me and like, well, like, kind of grabbed me by the shoulder and said, if you ever do that again, you are never coming back to the school. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa sorry, what, what? And she's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You're Dutch. If you drop out of school, you've got a complete social network, a mm-hmm. social support network, you've got welfare, you've got things to catch you. If you tell a kid here to drop out of school, you know what happens? They die. That's it. End of story. They don't have education. That's it. There's there's criminality. There's all sorts of things that they will get involved in. There's no good way out without college education, and especially not for a poor kid. And, you know, this school works really hard to ensure that people with socioeconomic disadvantages get a shot. Like, we mm-hmm. work. We spend money on that. And you're just telling them to get out of school if they want to? <laughs> like, do you know what your words mean? And I was like, uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had I I went back to the class and just basically apologized for, um, you know, me being a privileged ass without realizing it. Um, but since then I've 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 wondered like, can advice literally kill? Right. And it seems like a very like over the top statement, but I've been in a situation where that is true. So if I write in my, my game dev world is if I write a thing that says this and that, um, what can, what kind of, so it's been, it's not been paralyzing per se, but it's been, I, I understand the weight of the, of the project quite, quite well at this point, mm-hmm. And it has made me very careful
0: yeah understandably i think as soon as you i think um yeah anyone who who reaches that point of you know being someone who is giving talks or or giving people advice on that scale um i think sooner or later there is a moment like that where you realize like oh the the things that i'm saying impact people's lives and if that doesn't happen or if you don't have that realization that's like a real problem <laughs> and i think that's mm-hmm. where you get um some some people in those positions um causing a lot of damage because they don't realize that um and it's definitely better that that happens sooner rather than later um but then yeah that does certainly like weigh on you um and i think it's obviously better to err on that side of of caution um but it does it can make that that hard to do to, to, um, to, you know, execute that kind of project, um, because you're, you're thinking about all these, these possibilities.
1: That's right. I mean, I, I guess you've run into the same thing with, with public speaking or speaking, um, like at some point you realize that the audience, the audience has a perspective of you that is lacking in your, your, in your understanding of the situation. Like right. you're on a stage and you're speaking to people and you're trying to <laughs> emphasize that you are one perspective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you're, you're just this one person with this one perspective and they shouldn't take it as absolute truth. They should take it as a, as a perspective, as a, as a thing, to as, a, as, an, as an aid in thinking um, about a complex problem that might be way more multifaceted than what you're describing. But then the audience probably just looks at you like an expert at your field right and it's like how do i deal with this how do i how 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 to undo
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah learning how to use that and navigate that responsibly i think is just an ongoing challenge for anyone in that position
1: it's um my um uh in in arabic um in Islam specifically, I'm, I'm Muslim. I was raised Muslim. Um, in Islam, there's this, this notion that if you ask a wise person for any interpretation of the Quran or mm-hmm. of the religion, if you ask for religious advice, it is expected that the wise person starts their answer with Allah, which means as much as only God knows, right? Mm. Um, and you're expected to sort of start and end your answer with that and and it means only god knows so it's meant as a way to emphasize that the answer you're going to give might not be correct and is an interpretation and that ultimately uh, god is to judge the people Mm -hmm. not people are to judge people right Uh, but what is interesting about that is that it was officially meant as a way to to add nuance to an answer but Mm -hmm. over the years it turned into an expectation Mm. Which means that now saying it just makes you sound smarter and more (laughs) correct. So now if somebody answers and they start with Allah Alam, you go like, oh, this person knows. Like, let's listen exactly to what this person says (laughs) and not question it. Um, Which is one of those interesting, like if you if you tell people like this is just an opinion or this is just my perspective, people will go, Oh, this person has thought about this. Mm -hmm. They must be smart. It's like, oh okay, how how to there's no good way of doing it. I've I've tried over over many years of giving talks, I've tried to make people understand that, you know, Rami on a stage is just some guy on a stage.
0: Right. But like being on being on a stage is like, you know, you're on the stage. They're they're not, right? And just like with the um with the student asking you um if they should drop out, like people I think it's really easy to have this kind of cognitive bias where you see people who have succeeded at something and you think, okay, they must know everything about how to do this. And if I just do what they did or do what they tell me, then I can do that too. And um, the problem with that kind of thinking is like, well, there's a lot of people who maybe did do those same things or similar things. But for whatever reason, for timing or just they didn't do the exact same thing, they didn't succeed. Right. Yep. And so it's like, well, following that advisor or listening to this person who's on the stage, like, you know, it, it's hard to step back and, and treat that as like one case because our brains want to take it as like, oh, this is the thing to do.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fa- it's a fascinating strain. I, you know i don't know when i started game development i never realized that i would run into so many weird moral philosophical ponderies <laughs> i don't know i like the first game i ever worked on was well worked on the first game i ever modded or adjusted was gorillas.bas and it was a game about two gorillas throwing bananas on... at each other yes <laughs> <laughs> on that basic <laughs> yes that was it oh my god okay. First line of code I ever wrote was changing the main menu text to just be my name. (laughs) That that was it. That was the full thing.
0: Oh, that's incredible.
1: And now we're like 21 years since that happened, since I changed that line of code. And I'm thinking about the implications of saying something on a stage.
0: Yeah. And the moral
1: responsibility that public public reach gives you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow that is wild you play gorillas as well
0: i have yeah i remember playing it when i was a kid and like just uh messing with the code to give the like to change the um the arc and like the well no i guess that's how you play it you just type in the the yeah. the arc and the power
1: yeah that was it yeah, and yeah, yeah that's yeah. it
0: and it's just like and then there, there's a lot of variants on that game like uh scorched earth was kind of like that mm-hmm. um yeah yeah that's classic
1: it- it was one of two games that came on the first computer we ever owned. It was Nibbles.bas, which was just Snake. Snake, yeah. And .bas, And I spent... Because I didn't speak English, right? I was mm-hmm. a Dutch kid. So I had no idea what all of the text was. So I just recognized the main menu text. Um, and I realized that player meant player, mm-hmm. right? But that was about it. I had no... Like, I didn't know what power or velocity or whatever of that was. like. So yeah. I... I I remember the first time I modded code I just changed the menu text and then the second line I changed I tried to change RND which I think was somewhere to SIN which mm-hmm. was somewhere else and it turns out that breaks the game. <laughs> so I went to my dad crying to to fix our game and obviously he had no idea. So he went back to work and got a floppy like a, a new floppy with a, with a copy of gorillas and then I obviously messed that one up as well. <laughs> So I think he came back with like 20 copies of the game at one point. And he's just like, here, if you break all of these, you don't get to play anymore. Wow. <laughs> I did break <sighs> all of them. Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. <sighs> uh,
1: there was like, if you threw the banana in front of the little sun that was at the top of the sky, it would get like a little surprise face.
0: Uh-huh. I remember that. Yeah.
1: And it was the greatest thing. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I want to, I want to, because it was like the moment, like, you know how people have like their, their experience where they realize they want to be a programmer or a a game developer or, you know, a game creator in any way, shape or form, uh, as as opposed to somebody who plays games. Mm -hmm. I never had that time where I was somebody who wanted to play games. (laughs) The first game I ever played was the first game I, I adjusted. Yeah people ask me like what is what is your favorite game from before you started being a game developer or before you wanted to be a game developer and i'm like i have no idea <laughs> i don't think that time existed yeah uh i'm i'm i switch between being very happy and very sad about that <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: a it's a mixed blessing i think it's a blessing and a curse because um i think once you get to that level it's very difficult to enjoy something without thinking about how it works.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I my friends contact me to to cinema or, or games anymore. <laughs> I have I have a bunch of friends like some of the few friends I I I still have from my childhood. Um, and we went to like Batman I think, mm-hmm. like the, the probably The Dark Knight or something. And and there was this this um and we came out of the movie, and I was just like, "Oh my god, that was such a good movie!" And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, did you see the thing where Batman like punched the Joker?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, you remember the opening, like the the like dissonant tone setting up the Joker team, and like that slow zoom." And they're like, "Rami, shut up!" <laughs> like Batman punched the Joker. Can we talk about that? I'm like, "Oh my god, no, you 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 don't understand." They're like, "Okay, you know what? We're not going to the movies with you anymore." <laughs> uh, You're seeing the Matrix, yeah. It's but it's fun. It's like no, yeah. People, People are like, aren't you sad that you don't get to play a game just as a play? And I'm like, yes, but also I get to I get to wonder and ponder all of these other things, which are also very exciting. Just,
0: yeah. You know, no, you yeah, be, it's a trade off.
1: Yeah, it's like I don't get to I don't get to play I'm, with the same friends we were playing Halo in co op because we play every Halo game when it comes out in co op, mm-hmm. and they ran ahead and I just stopped and I'm like oh my God, that texture loading is so smooth. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Um, late for every battle because there was like a plant in the corner of the room. (laughs) Just looking at those plant meshes. I don't think this is billboarded. Wait, let me, give me a second.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, (laughs) So one thing I'm curious about um, is the difference between like because i mean you've shipped a bunch of games but then you take a game like nuclear throne which um is, is it's still being updated is it still being patched
1: there's there's one more there's one more batch coming in uh, actually probably in the next two weeks
0: oh and is that the last one
1: yeah that's uh we we call it update 99 and it's <laughs> much later than all the other updates yeah uh, it's been a while since it had its last update, but yeah, it was in early access for almost two and a half years, yeah, um, with weekly updates uh, so we we hit ninety eight updates over hundred and two weeks.
0: Wow, was that always the plan to get to ninety nine
1: No, no, the idea was to get to thirty and release the game <laughs> so, something something went different mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, are, are are the difference between that and shipping a normal? Yeah, game? well,
0: I'm curious about that because something I've noticed more and more, um, even as I've stepped back a bit from from keeping a close eye on on game dev stuff, is that we've there's been this shift more towards yeah, like early access games, uh, and games that are getting updates like constantly, like something like mm-hmm. like, um, and I think that model is sort of bottom up and top down it's bottom up in that like a small studio can get a game out quicker and sort of build it up with fan support but then it's also top down in that like you know someone like a blizzard can release a big flagship product and then they're just updating that for like the next six years um, Mm -hmm. or forever and it's just constantly being like tweaked and balanced and like I have no idea what that's like, like what is that? I, I imagine you're just sifting through so much data and just making these yeah, these changes like all the time
1: I mean, the shift to games as a service, which is is really the the you know what's been, what we've been seeing in the industry, um, part of it is the AAA studios have forgotten that their budgets went up, mm-hmm. But their prices couldn't go up, so at first they tried to counter it with, you know, like DLC, and then they tried season passes, and then from there you really quickly go towards, hey, mobile is earning a lot of money mm-hmm. by retaining players and then asking them to pay money at different times during the game. Why don't we do that? So I think you first saw that sort of exploration in Dead Space Three, which included microtransactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just kind of slowly normalised to the point where now making a online multiplayer game that has the qualities of a roguelike or a continuous multiplayer game um, and just updating that forever while offering ways for people to spend money is the best way of not going bankrupt mm-hmm. as a large game studio. And on the indie side, yeah, exactly as you said, it's, it's just less risk. It's easier. Um, people... People often think you know when people say indie, and, and I, I, I've started to dislike the word indie a bit. In that, I mean commercial indie, mm-hmm. like people who are trying to make money making independent games. Um, like we've sort of reached a, a. People often say people go indie because they want to be there for the for the art and be able to be independent and and act on. But the honest reality is that. Indies are probably the most business-oriented game developers in the world. <laughs> like, yeah. a AAA developer doesn't deal with this. They don't look at the market and go, well, this would be a good product. They just go, well, I have to make 12 trees today. <laughs> to make 12 trees. And right. that's awesome. Like, I'm very happy that people enjoy that job. And I'm very impressed by a lot of the trees i see in video games. Um, and experimental developers or developers who do it as a hobby. They don't deal with the business either because... Mm-hmm they have a job no indies are the business people of this industry in many ways um so for us it's it's a very easy consideration it is we can work on a game for two years not know whether somebody's going to like it at the end and then be stuck with two years of investment and you know no feedback until the very end or we can start selling the game early get feedback from a full community of people immediately and then based on that, develop on and see where things end up. And, I mean, if you offer those two options.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a simple choice. And I have to admit, it was really fun. Um, maybe there were some parts that were tough, but, you know, we had a really good schedule for a long time. Every week, Saturday, Sunday, there'd be an update. And then uh, it was also just you know, exhausting, like we've, we've severely underestimated how much work it was gonna be, and also how long we were gonna be doing it. Mm-hmm. So you gotta imagine, for, for a while, our weeks looked like Monday, well, let's say Tuesday, we do a live stream mm-hmm. for, for like six hours. <laughs> so not a lot of development got done, except for what we were developing on the stream. Wednesday we work, Thursday we do the second live stream. Friday we pack for release uh, Saturday we release updates Sunday we hot fix everything that was broken on Saturday, <laughs> and Monday we discuss what the feedback is that came in and what we want to act on that's a that was wow. seven days yeah, and then we did that ninety eight weeks in a row. with one break for g d c, which is not the calmest week in the world. <laughs> so. Yeah, we we kind of underestimated that. But then on the other side, what was what was cool was that we our community was seeing us right. They were seeing us develop, and I think for so many games, for so many players, game development is this abstract notion. Mm-hmm. Right, where they don't really understand that there's people doing this. Mm-hmm. And we could uh, we could genuinely just say, hey, I know we said this this feature was going to be in this week, but it looks like we're going to need to do some more work on it. I'm sure you saw the bugs we had on Thursday, so it's going to be delayed by like two weeks. And everybody would be like, yeah, that's fair. Mm. Um, so humanizing development was was fascinating. It was fascinating to, to figure out where the little disconnects were. Um, like we added this we added this weapon very early on in the project and and we had asked people like what kind of new weapons do you want and they were like laser weapons we're like okay so we added our first laser weapon and it's just it's this very simple thing it's basically just a line that we scale up mm-hmm. along the um along the uh, the x axis so that it just becomes wider mm-hmm. right it's always maximum it's always maximum length because it's a laser so mm-hmm. it's just as long as the screen effectively and then it gets wider, and then as soon as it hits uh, maximum width, we we leave it there for, for effect for a few seconds, and then we delete it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then we do we calculate the distance until the first wall, and then at the first wall we cut the effect short, right? Collision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first version we implemented of it uh, on the live stream, on people's request obviously didn't have collision yet. We were just testing the effect, and people said, oh, hey, it, it went through the wall, and we're like, yeah, we, we haven't programmed collision yet. And people were just like, you got to program that. <laughs> and we're like, e- "Yes." And they're like, "Wait, your engine doesn't do that." I'm like, "No, no, no, no. If, you, if we just added a completely new thing, we didn't tell it to do anything." They're mm-hmm. like, "Oh. That's why games take 2 years." And we're like, e- <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's like those little like misunderstandings almost about what game development is. Like you don't just sit down and go lasers. Great. Let's press the add laser button. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was fast. We learned a lot from each other, the community and us, and they've been very, very supportive. Um, and, you know, it was kind of rough when the whole project came to an end and we realized that that community was going to move on mm-hmm. and that we, We were going to move on and that, you know, hurt people on, on both sides of that fence a little. Um, but in, you know, in general, like I think everybody who was involved with it looks back on, on those 98 updates with with a fondness for what was happening and, Honestly, what more could you wish from a, from a game like it did well? It's a game I'm proud of. We had an amazing time making it. I mean, I, I would wish for less, uh, for more breaks. Right. <laughs> but beyond that, it was just such a phenomenal experience. Um, and releasing it to the idea of I already know this is a good game as opposed to, oh, my God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that stress of releasing something Without knowing whether it's good, um, that wasn't there, which was really nice.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, hedging that or like re- reducing that that release stress it seems re- really really useful.
1: <laughs> it's um yeah it was yeah I really like working on Nuclear Throne. It's um it was just a great time also with the team like just sitting down and you know, looking at, Oh, Hey, this, this one fan drew this, this thing, that's a cool idea. Like what, what can we do with that? Is there any way we can, we can refer to it with like a new weapon or can we like in joke with the community a bit, or, you know, how do we handle this feedback? Um, at some point we, we would write like, uh, update logs every week. And then by week 40, this one, this one guy from Hawaii started making update videos where he'd record footage of all the new stuff and then just basically read through the update log while showing the changes. So we just linked to that instead. <laughs> and it was cool. Like it built, it built its own little world of, yeah. of these, honestly, you know, since the community has, has changed a lot, but of this very... Polite, very constructive, very positive community that was just a, uh, honestly, a joy to be a part of. So, yeah, it was good times.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, speaking of positive, uh, you know, pleasant, uh, communal experiences with games, I wanted to ask you about, um, the fact that your mom started playing, uh, (laughs) was, was it Destiny or?
1: No, Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy, 15. right.
0: Fifteen. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that's a story. Um so basically think of it this way. My when I was growing up, right, I, I, I found Gorillas, WAS. Um and ever since I wanted to make video games. And I, I was raised in a in a bicultural family. Um my dad is Egyptian and my mom is Dutch. Uh and and In Egyptian tradition, if, if you are, um, if you are a guy, the, the jobs you're allowed to take basically are lawyer, engineer, doctor, or disgrace to the family. Those are, (laughs) those are your four options, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's, it's part because it's, you know, it's a poor country. So the, the aspirations for children Mm -hmm. is to not be poor, right? That's it. That's it. And those jobs can relatively surely, um, can, can relatively ensure that you will not be poor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so my dad was very confused that I wanted to, uh, he called it play video games, uh, <laughs> rather than make video games. Um, but he was very confused by that because he, he, he believed that I had the, that I was afforded the capacity to, to do any of the jobs that would make sure that I would be you know, wealthy later in life. Um, and my mother is Dutch and she always wanted to be an archeologist,
2: mm.
1: you know, like when I was a kid, she'd have like stacks of books about ancient, ancient history, about, um, about the Egyptian and Romans and Greek. And she, she basically taught me uh, a fondness for mythology and culture and history. Um, not through actively doing that, but just by the books she kept under the cabinet, mm-hmm. uh, and and both of them didn't end up in either of those. Like my dad is not a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer and my mom is not an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. And for my dad, that meant that a large part of his, the reason he worked hard throughout his life uh, as an immigrant here in the Netherlands uh, was to ensure that I would have those options. Right, right. Right. And for my mom, a large part of the reason she worked really hard was so that I could do the thing I loved instead of the thing I ended up you know, having to do, because Mm -hmm. that was the job that was available. Um, I guess I ended up like an engineer that does something that they love. So that worked out. (laughs) Uh, Very thankful to my parents. Uh, But one of the interesting things was the response to when Vlambeer started doing well. Like it was founded in 2010. Uh, I dropped out of school to do it, which was its own discussion with my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, But my dad's response was, as long as you, you know, can can pay for your own, uh, as long as you can be, you know, not, as long as you can do this and pay for your rent and pay for your food, mm-hmm. like, I guess that is fine. Like, I would much rather you become a rocket scientist or something, but, you know, it is what it is. And my mom's response was to just start obsessively reading about the games industry. Huh. So she would read Polygon, she would read Kotaku, she would read... Rock paper shotgun uh, anything I linked on my Twitter she would glance at um, because she wanted to be able to to share this thing I loved with me um, so she can she she understands the difference between first party and third party and between uh, Microsoft and and PlayStation and and Nintendo and Unity and Unreal and uh, if I if I say if I say Phil right I've I've been talking to Phil. She can ask whether I mean <laughs> Phil Fisher, Phil Tipitosky, or Phil Spencer. Like, what, what Phil? Like, and if I say, well, I meant Tipitosky, she says, oh, how is Octodad doing? She, <laughs> wow. She, she really she really came to to just enjoy reading about this industry. And then I suddenly realized that despite her having all of that knowledge, she'd never played a game. Hmm. And I got really sad. So I decided to, uh, to give an old Xbox that I had laying around, an Xbox One uh, that I had laying around, to give that to her and to buy her a copy of final Fantasy 15 because i'd been tweeting about that a lot and she had mentioned that it looked really nice Uh, and i was like well you know what let's let's try it let's let's have mom play a video game so i suggested it and mom said okay i'll try but i've never done this before and i have no idea so please don't get frustrated with me um which was heartbreaking in its own way Mm -hmm. um and then we just started playing and it was amazing uh it is it is Im- it is incredible to see somebody who you know my mom is uh, in her 50s like somebody who is a, you know a, a very intelligent eloquent person Get to terms with this, this, this medium.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you know, when a kid starts playing games, they're kids. They have a very specific view on life. They're very experimental. They, they have um, fewer expectations and fewer things they're embarrassed about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like they can, they can tr- easily appreciate the play of a game without really understanding the context of a game.
0: Right. Right.
1: My mom is obviously the opposite. Uh, <laughs> my mom has, has lived her entire life working hard, uh, in in pretty serious subjects. Um, and you know, raised uh, a number of children. Uh, she's, she's done a lot. She's seen a lot. She's, um, she spent a lot of time dealing with uh, racism and discrimination towards my dad, uh, back in the days, like she's seen life, uh, and now she was seeing games, and being able to have that conversation with her about what games are and how they work, and you know, seeing her talk, talk and think her way through what games are was fascinating. Um, one of my favorite moments comes very early on in the game. Have, did you play Final Fantasy?
0: I haven't. No.
1: So there's this moment very early on in the game, and I'm going to try and keep it as, as spoiler-free as possible. Then uh, also for anybody listening. Um, there's a moment very early on on in the game, uh, where you come across a suspicious stranger and that's also the way they are described in the subtitles. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a suspicious stranger. You meet him when you're trying to board this boat towards, uh, towards your, your destination. And he basically tells you that the boat isn't going. And he has this air about him that for, to any, to any person in the game that has played games for a while uh, reads as this person. So he's going to be a secret ally in the third act, or Mm -hmm. he's the final nemesis. Right. Right. It's one or the other. Yeah. He has like a little song that goes like dun 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 like with that last dissonant note. And, um, he does that thing that Japanese characters like often do where he sort of like tilts his head back and diagonal mm-hmm. when he's speaking to you. Uh, he has like big, like black sort of like costume with this giant Sephiroth esque wing. Uh, like they did everything they could to make, to make this person look, uh, somewhat menacing. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited for her to to meet this person. And she went, she went down to that location and I got a text message from her. She's like, Rami, Rami, I found a new place. And I'm like, what is it? She's like, oh, it's, it's called golden key. And I'm like, golden key. Did anything, you know, anything interesting happen?" She's like, yeah, 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 I met, I met, uh, I met this giant bird. I'm like, okay, uh, there's a giant bird around there. So I guess she ran into that. And I met this, this incredibly shady, this incredibly shady guy. I'm like, Oh. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what was shady about him? She's like, well, first of all, he was just standing in a corner sort of like quietly. And I'm like, mm-hmm. She's like, and he was wearing all black. And I'm like, mm-hmm. She's like, and when I walked up to him, he tried to sell me weapons. I'm like, he what? She's like, he, he tried to sell me like he had like a bunch of guns and some swords. And I was like, this is wrong. Like, <laughs> so I ran away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> he tried. Like It took me it took me so long to understand what was happening. Uh, but th- it turns out there's a shopkeeper right next to that spot. <laughs> she hadn't recognized the trope of a human as a shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she thought this was a real human who just kind of walked up to her and went like, hey, want to buy some weapons? <laughs> so she ran away. Uh, That's incredible. But it's moments like that that really made me appreciate how much Jargon, video games inherently yeah. have. Yeah. Um, like walking for her is incredibly hard in a game,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like because she doesn't have the 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 insight into the geometry. Like, how does geometry in games work? Right. Like where's the camera, where is my character? If the if if she walks close to a wall, you know, the third-person video games often do this thing where the main character will disappear,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you can still see what's beyond them but mom just goes like, Oh, where did I go? (laughs) Like, no, no, you're still there. If you point the camera down, you're, you're still there. She's like, but I can't see. And it's like, you know, it's conversations like that that were really interesting. But then as the game went, you know, it was, it was interesting to see her kind of fall in love with the characters, you know, Mm. and with the world. And uh, she finished it recently, and she's been really sad that it's over. Um, she started in January and she played over almost 50 hours. Wow. Um, so we've, we've selected a new game for her. Uh, Mm -hmm. she just started on it. Uh, it's Dragon Age Inquisition. Oh, cute. Which is a massive step up in terms of all the stuff you need to do. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) She rolled herself a human archer uh she picked the uh my favorite mention the, my favorite thing she said is when we were making the character she she picked the haircut and she said that's the haircut i would like to have in real life instead of the one i have now <laughs> I was like, okay well aspirational character let's go <laughs> um and she's kept sort of her role-playing jobs like i don't know if she ever did any any D or anything i don't think she did but um, as, as Noctis in Final Fantasy, you, you play a crown prince and she refused to take any side quests <laughs> because she's a, she's, a, she's a prince. She's not doing that. Come on. Uh, you know, but get, grab the onions in the farm yourself. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> doing that for you. Um, and in, in Dragon Age, she she kind of kept that kind of snarky note mm-hmm. in her character. So... Uh, I'm very excited to see what that's going to do to the game because in Dragon Age your your answers do affect the game. Mm-hmm. I've I've kind of warned her a little bit that you know your choices will affect the world, but I don't think she fully understands what that means yet.
0: Oh, so I'm very excited. That'll be so interesting, time. yeah.
1: Yeah, when something she said is going to come back to bite her is going to be <laughs> it's going to be really fun to to see that to see that click. Oh, that's uh, so great yeah it's it's just so into and like talking to her like she apologized at some point she's like i'm so sorry for every time i made you turn off your your computer before you reached the save point i had no idea that's how that works <laughs> and uh for dragon age we switched her to uh, a playstation mm-hmm. uh, because it has share play so it means i can watch her play when she's playing oh, if that's she needs so help cool. And I can even take over the controller remotely. Oh, wow. uh, If she she asks me to. So if she ever gets stuck, we can fix that. So we switch it to the PlayStation. She's like, I had never realized that Xbox and PlayStation were just different boxes. (laughs) And I'm trying to, like connect that to her reading all that games news for years and just being very confused about why everybody was making such a big deal (laughs) she's like I thought it was the same thing just different games or something but it's like a different box with a different different windows and a Mm -hmm. different different discs like (laughs) yeah she's like now I get it I'm like "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm that's great yeah it's been it's been so interesting
0: yeah that's so good what a heartwarming story
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Dragon Age.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to hear about it, because you were tweeting about Final Fantasy, right? So are you going to keep doing about Dragon Age?
1: So a little bit less. The, uh, in Final Fantasy, it, it's a linear story, obviously, so there was mm-hmm. a lot of, of touching points that I could easily tweet about, and Dragon Age is is way more open world. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to have to do seven tweets to establish a context in which something happened. Right, right. But if she says something that's interesting or she does something that is interesting i'll 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 tweet it Uh, the old hashtag was mom versus final fantasy 15 like mom vs ffxv the new one is mom versus dragon age inquisition which is mom vsdai so awesome if people want to follow that then
0: yeah that's great that's awesome um well, I think that um, basically brings us to the end of the show, except we do have one segment that um, that we'll do, and that segment is called Get Wrecked. Get Wrecked. It is a segment where we recommend things to our listeners, and um, I usually leave it open to the guest as to whether they want to go first or they want me to go first. Um, you go first. I will go first. Very good. Yes um so regular listeners of the show may be aware of the work of robert radiator yang and um i wanted to recommend this week a game that he released uh, a few weeks ago and i think was just updated as of this recording um like a day or two ago that is called the tea room and it is smart on like so many levels and i think the most like uh, it's a it's a game about uh kind of homophobia it's a game of sort of about public sex but it's also really interesting in that it's about getting back at and sort of around the rules for streaming games um, on platforms like twitch because basically all of robert's games have been banned by that platform in the past um which in the year 2017, is kind of a hit to a developer to not be able to have their games shown on a whole platform on one as big as Twitch. Um, and so Robert kind of got around that. Um, I don't actually know what this current state of of it is if it is banned or not on Twitch. But basically, in the place of genitals, there are just guns. And um, I thought that was just like such a great way to sort of like get back at that. And there have been a few a uh, few articles on. Um, on the game and a few interviews with him that sort of talk about the backstory of that. Um, there's one of the guardian that came out recently. Um, and I would recommend checking that game out.
1: It's so clever. (laughs) It's, it's also one of those games that for me is very strange in that my, my, my audience is obviously worldwide. Mm hmm and has very cultural culturally diverse ideas about what is acceptable in the public sphere and what is mm, not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it was fascinating. Like I, ha- I I ended up having to write a blog post about it. it's called the tea room, right? Mm-hmm. The Tea. I had to write a blog post about it just to add like 150 disclaimers. And I, it's just one of those moral quandaries that I got stuck on and just didn't know how to deal with, uh, because it was such a, it's such a good, like, such a good game. It's such a good idea. Such a good, Robert Zhang is just, oh, he's too good. Too good. Robert Zhang <laughs> is too good. He's a genius, yeah. It's just, every, every single time Robert makes something, I look at it and go, yep, that's too, that's how, how do, how do. <laughs> uh, that's making it really, That's that's a tough one. How do I, like. That's probably one of the best things that happening in, in games. It doesn't have to. It doesn't
0: week. have to be in games. It could be anything.
1: Yeah, let me let me think. Um, hmm. Okay. How about uh, how about a, a meal? Please. A meal. Uh, one of my favorite meals that I recently got to introduce a friend of mine to is an Egyptian recipe, mm-hmm. and it's called koshari. Hmm. Um, and kosheri is uh, it's an Egyptian dish. Uh, it's It's usually served warm Uh, i think it's from like it's probably from the nineteenth century but it might it might be older
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and it is it is sort of like the it's sort of like the street food of egypt it's like you know where you 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 walk into a Mcdonald's and get like chicken nuggets or something mm-hmm. um it's that but in egypt um, and basically what it is, is you take, uh, lentils, rice, macaroni, and chickpeas. You, you prepare all those mm-hmm. and then you add, uh, you boil all those effectively and they add uh, tomato sauce with uh grilled onions, mm-hmm. a little bit of garlic, a little bit of, of oil and a little bit of, of vinegar or something. Uh, you don't have to do the vinegar. And if you want, you spice it up a little bit with, uh, sambal, um, like, uh, any, any chili red hot, like any red, uh, chili will do. Mm-hmm. Um, and effectively what it is, it is literally just, uh, carbs on carbs on carbs on carbs <laughs> on carbs. Uh, but what's really good about it is it is basically exactly the same thing. It's just carbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it will give you infinite energy. Um, and it is way more filling than it looks, so you can kind of prepare it for like a few days.
0: Yeah, it looks really good.
1: Yeah, it's it's very simple. It's very fast to make. It is very much a staple of Egyptian cuisine. So if you ever would like to try something Egyptian, uh, I I would wholeheartedly recommend a good plate of koshari.
0: Yeah, I may look up a recipe today. Actually,
1: it's a. Uh, it's fun. It's like you can literally make just like what, what would traditionally happen in Egypt is somebody just makes like this giant, giant, like pan of koshary, not just like a normal, just like, you know, for like a week's worth of koshary, mm-hmm. And then for, throughout the week, you can just eat koshary whenever you want to. <laughs> it's great. Nice. You just get like a little bowl. If, if you do make it, mm-hmm. it is way mightier than it looks. Okay. So... <laughs> Be careful if you think like, I'm going to get like a big bowl of cushiony because I'm, I'm a relatively big human. And if I try <laughs> to eat anything larger than a bowl, it's just end of <laughs> like halfway through, you've got like sweat, like yeah. too much cushiony. Okay. Um, but it's so good that you usually keep on eating. So be, be careful with your portioning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you. That's a great wreck. Um, and thank you for coming on the show. This was this was so great. I'm glad we finally got to catch up. I haven't talked to you in in ages. Um, a long
1: time. Way too long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, this was super fun. And if anyone doesn't already follow you um on Twitter, where where can they do that? Uh
1: the easiest way to find me is to just search for my full name. That's Rami Ismail, where mm-hmm. Ismail is like Ismail, like I'm postal mail or something. Mm-hmm. Um if you search for that, you should be able to to find my my website or my Twitter. Or alternatively, you can look for Vlambeer, which mm-hmm. is my my game studio, uh, together with JW, uh, which is V L A M and then beer as in the drink mm-hmm. beer.
0: Great, awesome. Well, thank you so much, and um, have a great evening. And I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Woodland Secrets is hosted by Mary Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Woodland Secrets is a part of Stay Mean, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co slash support. For as little as 3 bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show, head to woodlandsecrets.co slash messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.